James Falacos. Hopefully I pronounced that right. How are you? Good, Eric. Um, yeah, doing well. Thanks for having this um, slow podcast. We've been talking about it for a while. We've been talking for a while. It's kind of, you know, our, our mutual friend put us in touch a couple months ago, and it's kind of nice to get to know someone before just talking about some topics that maybe can save humanity. You are a building science expert, and you're running for Congress in the third district. It seems like there's probably some good overlap between you having knowledge about actual of, about energy and how buildings work and what actual solutions will be good for potentially uh, improving the environment, but also for most importantly, humanity, because we need to keep surviving. So tell me a little bit about why, why you are an expert in building sciences. So my background is uh, my background is in renewable energy, uh, engineering, business development. Um, but I got into uh, building science uh, after college, doing energy auditing, that type stuff. But what's energy auditing? Energy auditing is um, so after grad school, I did a uh, it was actually for the Illinois EPA, but there's a um, I was at a correctional facility, this prison downstate Shawnee Correctional Facility, okay. and it's a massive, it's a massive uh, facility. Uh, I forgot how many thousand inmates, but covers a lot of ground, um, and they they have a high energy expenditure. You know, you have a lot of people, you have heating, you have cooling. Um, so I just, you know, started getting into it, looking at that and energy auditing, you're looking at all their expenditures. How could you cut, basically how to cut their energy bills because prisons aren't producing money, you know, they're, they're, um, it's costing taxpayer money. So anything to reduce that. Yeah. But um, kind of went, went in there, had a couple um, internships with um, Relight Renewable Energy, uh, just wind power company. But on the subject of renewables, kind of, um, you know, I have to say over the last decade, kind of changed my opinion on it and where we go as a country, as far as energy and, you know, maybe we could talk, talk more about that. Um, we'll talk about way. it. What, what, what was your stance? What is it now? And how did you get there? So my stance was a lot of us went to school and, you know, we took everything, what we were taught as definitive. Um, a lot of us weren't really under the impression of how manipulated a lot of those sectors were by politics, by industry, by interest groups. And, you know, um, you begin to see as you get older. So where, where I was before is I was gung-ho on renewables. You know, we need to, we need to transition uh, all renewables, solar, wind. When you, and and I, that's what I got my undergrad in was renewable energy, economic, and public policy. But interesting, there was a report that came out. And I, I don't know if it's possible. It'd be nice to share a screen. Um, I, I'll pull it up. What's uh, is it the one you texted me? Yes. All right. I will uh, keep talking. I'll, I'll pull that up inside. Okay. So my, I, I was in the solar industry. I had my, so I had my solar contractor's license in Florida, Illinois, and it, they're big money-making industries. These are big money-making industries. And, um, when you start to look at the numbers and you start to look at the intermittency issues, you, you, you create energy shortfalls where, you know, this energy per kilowatt is very expensive to produce with renewables. It still is. Um, you have large intermittency issues as far as the wind doesn't always blow. The sun doesn't always shine. Energy storage is very expensive. Batteries are extremely expensive. Uh, getting it without getting too much into batteries, Moving to EV cars, to me, is not a smart solution. You're still getting the, that electric production from fossil fuels, for the most part. All that cadmium and, and precious metals used in batteries, you still have to extract it from the ground. So now you have a, a, a problem of you need two sources of basically two fuel sources for the EV car. You need the electric that goes into it into the battery and then you need the actual materials that the battery is made up from 
Batteries are highly toxic. They're expensive. They're inefficient. Their their long term efficiency they depletes. So I would go against. I, I take a different approach. I, I don't consider myself a liberal or or, or a conservative, and um, I'm somewhere in the middle of common sense, looking at the data, looking at the actual data, because a lot of this data from NREL, these government agencies are manipulated for them to propagate their agendas. So how, how is it manipulated? Like what, can you give an example? I think that when NREL comes out and they says, this is our energy from solar and it shows 5%. I question a lot of those lot of that data saying it, how accurate is that where are they coming up with these numbers yeah and they don't tell the full story and you can manipulate anything you can manipulate any graph numbers and that to to, to serve you um yeah. small changes or make false promises where this is the trajectory of the numbers the cost costs are a big thing underestimating the cost needed in infrastructure to, to get to the to get to say a 10% solar production, it, it's it's not feasible. And they're lying about the feasibility and the amount of the taxpayers are gonna have to spend. There's a there's a great line from a former coworker of mine. And I bring this up with some of the financial planning I do. Because I say a lot of financial planners or or uh, wealth management people are bullshit artists. And they say, why? And I say, this guy had this great phrase and he's no longer in the industry. And I want, I'm not going to say his name. He's a great guy. I love him. But he would always say, torture the numbers. And this is what he learned from someone else. Torture the numbers until they confess. For example, let's say you were, so I don't manage money. I just do planning. Let's say I did manage money and James, you gave me a million bucks. So there's different ways to invest that money. And we could put it all in at one time. And then we would invest, you know, we can invest 100% of it in funds right away. Most of the time, you don't want to do that. You want to do it over time because there's going to be natural dips in the market. There could be a larger dip right now with the market. It's crazy. Who knows? I mean, I guess it's always kind of crazy, but it's so weird because of inflation. And then is the are the labor numbers really what, what they are? Is the unemployment rate that low? Is it is it that low because of people have one job or are they like us where they're kind of doing multiple things? So he'd say torture numbers until they confess. So you get a million bucks. So you can put it in. So let's say you put in 50% now and then do the other 50% over a year. Let's say you do 10% now and do 10% over a year. Or let's say you do zero right now and you wait for a little bit of a dip. So here's my question for you. When is it appropriate to start performance? Like if I was going to run a report and show you, hey, James, you know, you brought you brought your million dollars over on January first. That's when it hit, and it's let's call it March first. When like what 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 is the correct performance period? What do you think? To assess how good of a job that you're doing, managing the numbers versus yeah, compared versus like the S and P five hundred, the broad market index. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're along with the S and P, I mean. Are you asking if you should be, you know, I'd be happy with, you know, five, 10% rate it's, of return. It's, it's confusing though, right? Because it doesn't really make oh, sense. Absolutely. Like what? So the, so the correct answer is the performance is appropriate to start when the advisor looks best. So for example, if we got 50% invested over the first month and then at the end of that month, it started to rise. Well, then we would start it at the end of that month because, well, we only had 50% invested. And once we got that invested, that's when it made sense to look at performance. Exactly. Torture the numbers until they confess. And I agree with you on a lot of this climate stuff. I And I, you know, my other big issue is it was global warming. Now it's like climate change. So they're kind of shifting the narrative. And, and I, the, yeah, go ahead. Touching on that, while we're on that, they push it as, and this is my opinion, they push the climate change agenda. The bigger concern to me is the pollution that's being emitted that's that's a, a health emergency. That's the real health emergency that people aren't talking about. The heavy metals, sulfur dioxide, 
um, all the particulate, the uh, PM uh, particulate matter 2.5, and, and that's very fine particulate that gets embedded in, in the lungs. This is, this is the real problem to me, and that's not even discussed. You know, living in large cities, being around all that combustion exhaust, um, being around manufacturing that's not properly, properly regulated. Um, so I think that they're pushing us in a direction to say, oh, look, hey, well, there's a climate emergency, when in reality, it, it, it's a, all that is causing is it's causing issues with within human bodies and human health. It's causing, you know, Alzheimer's. There was a study coming out uh, showing um, high aluminum use in cosmetics and, and in combustion air. Um, so, so we're, we're, I just saw this on, this was originally, this article was just this morning. Um, want to make sure I have this right. I got the, there's no climate emergency up. By the oh, way. Disclose TV. It was from Disclose TV's um, Telegram or, or their Instagram. Yeah, I like that. And uh, basically what this is a report is saying that a, a, a lot of people from different countries um, got together that, that don't have any monetary motives and that don't have backing of an interest groups of large, large corporations. And they says that they, they don't agree. Uh, maybe if you want to go to page two, three. Just there you uh, go. There's no climate emergency. Okay. There, so they're agreeing, and this is their opinion that there's no climate emergency. Um, and, and their biggest thing is, um, you know, reading the first climate science should be less political while climate policy policies should be more scientific, you know, kind of going to say where numbers could be manipulated and they're going to manipulate um, this. But what the saying you said was um, torture numbers until they agree with you. Um, yep. Same I thing with the models, same thing on. with the models, pick the models that agree with you and then talk about those. I don't hear that. They don't talk a lot about the models that don't show what they're talking about. Exactly. Selective picking selectively what, what's going to agree with you. So these, this is just most of this whole, it's not even a paper. It's just stating these, these agreed upon um, conclusions. Say the NASA and all these government agencies say that CO2 is a greenhouse gas. Is it? Could we, could we, could, could the people of this country, could we develop tests so that we could see for ourselves is it really a greenhouse gas because before when when forests and and plant life was lush in, in our history that they claim co2 is at higher levels that's plants plant food so is it really a greenhouse gas or is it not we need to get to the bottom of it um let me ask let me ask you i'm gonna interrupt you real quick because i know we got a couple topics to cover let me so let me get the the tldls i'll call it what I guess what when you're when you're in Congress, what is I guess what are your a couple of your priorities to kind of turn this around? Like what what do you what do you want to do and what will you try to do? That's a good question. Um, what I would try to do is first, without not first and foremost, is getting accurate numbers. Accurate numbers is is paramount because without accurate numbers, how how could we extrapolate and come up with a plan? So yeah, my totally. thing is. Coming up with getting uh, numbers that we could all agree with that are accurate. After we have that, you know, I like to look at short term. We need to increase our our our, our gas and, and this is my opinion. We need to increase our gas production on a short term, two year, next two year basis right now because petroleum prices impact every aspect. It's creating it's it's creating hyperinflation. That's that's first and foremost. After that, then we could start discussing what are some other technologies that aren't impacted by government overreach, a lot of organizations that are dumping money into technology. And I have a very good friend that works for, um, works for some organizations that look at these, you know, wind power. And so where I would go 
I would, I want to look, really take a look at and do feasibility studies on where can we go as a country as a whole, because we have a very large energy expenditure and we need to produce. I like nuclear. If, if, the, if the people in control now were serious about renewable energy and greenhouse gas emissions, nuclear would make up 50% of our total energy uh, uh, production because it, it, you have extraction of, of uranium um, and you have storage issues, but nuclear plants aren't actively producing greenhouse gases. So, you know, what we need to do is we need to look at these. I, I, like, I like hydrogen fuel cells and that's a technology that not a lot of people heard about. Hydrogen fuel cells are my favorite choice for transportation. How they work is you take hydrogen fuel cell is you take an anode, it's an anode and a cathode in the presence of an electrolyte, kind of how a battery works, but you're taking hydrogen and you're, you're basically using hydrogen as a fuel source. Hydrogen is one of the most abundant elements in, in the universe. You get attracted some water and, and other, um, other things you, that could be done, but it burns nothing but um, oxygen and water vapor and heat. So I believe that there's other technologies out there that need to be looked at before as a country, we, we pass a trillion dollar bill, energy policy bill that, that, that it doesn't make sense. It's not taking care of our issues, not lowering the cost of our energy. So I think that there's a couple of things I would do. I, I would look at, I would get accurate numbers. I would look at alternative energies um, other than just solar and, and wind. And I, I want accurate numbers for, for climate change and see what the, the actual issues are with this. That's and all of this should be lowering the, the price of electric. It should be for the, the people of this country is, is the, one of the most important things as well. Let's talk about lowering the price, inflation. You hit on it a couple moments ago. I don't buy the numbers that they're saying. I don't agree with CPI. CPI has been changed over the years. I don't think government should be saying, oh, well, we do this and we measure it by this. But we're changing how the measurement is and therefore it's this. Like, I feel like that's too much of a, there's too much incentive on their own to torture the numbers until they confess. Well, oh, well, this isn't, like Michael Saylor has this great, he was on Lex Friedman. I don't know if you heard that podcast. It was really good. We talked about mm -hmm. inflation. And he said, well, let's say you used to go to concerts and then your concerts go up by a certain amount. So you can't really afford it, but then you go to Netflix and you can watch your Netflix concerts. Well, then technically, if you just have a Netflix subscription, well, there wasn't any inflation because maybe the price of Netflix didn't go up, but you don't get your concerts the same way. I'm not sure that I'm phrasing exactly how he did. I know I'm not, but there's something to that. So inflation. Let me, um, you made some fantastic notes. I got, uh, for inflation, the Fed, gold, silver, crypto, NFTs. Why don't we start anywhere you want to start? Inflation, I think, is the biggest issue going on. I would say uh, outside of not having a fair and accurate mainstream news industry on both sides, I don't think either of them does us a great service. Like, for example, uh, I listen to Scott Adams almost every morning, and he said, you know, it's pretty interesting with this whole Mar-a-Lago thing why haven't we heard from the people that pack the boxes with these documents? Like neither side seems to be searching them out. It's kind of like both sides want to perpetuate the story because the left can say, you know, this guy's a criminal and the right can say the left is, you know, using the FBI to go after conservatives and it just drives up ratings and makes people crazy. So kind of forgot what I was talking about, but inflation, go ahead. <laughs> so I agree with a lot. Yeah. You threw a lot of topics out there. I agree with, with all of that, actually, um, as far as inflation and, and where we stand, like in the, you know, in the seventies, we were on, and, and I have an economics background and, and I, it sounds like you have an overall economics background as well. And we used to be, what is currency? What is the backing of currency? You have a hundred dollar bill. What is this? Is it tangible? You know, what is its tangible worth? Um, and we used to have gold backing. And if you studied economics, having a, a, a finite resource that you have to pay to extract 
And it's, it's not a everlasting supplier. You know, you have to pay to extract it. It's a finite resource. That U.S. currency was attached to gold and it was a very steady marker. Um, countries could, could have gold reserves. It's like having, you know, uh, a, a big chunk of money in your savings account for, you know, in case things go south, having collateral. So mm-hmm. yep. we were on, and we were in gold prices were, were pretty constant. Then in the 70s, we, and without a lot of knowledge from the American people, we switched to from the gold reserve to the petroleum reserve. A lot of people didn't understand what happened, but the U.S. now didn't use gold backing the U.S. currency, but was using petroleum. Well, if you is know the, petro, the petrodollar, is that where that petrodollar comes from? exactly? Okay. So, but what happens is now you have a a resource such as petroleum that could be is is manipulated everywhere. You have OPEC, oil producing exporting countries that were price fixing. And that's a whole subject in its house. That's game theory. It's, it's basically a bunch of people polluting, saying this is how much oil we have and they're, they're price setting. So now you could really manipulate the currency. So this is just a little history of, of, of my opinion, what's going on. And, and so now we're, we're seeing, you know, going fast forwarding a lot of years, what we've experienced now is the massive printing and spending of money, government overreach printing, just no, there's no backing now to this, to this, this paper. They're just printing uncontrolled. And how the Fed works is they're allowing that the central government, it's an independent, the Fed is independent. They're just allowing them to print more money, driving up inflation. So as long as we have the, as long as the Fed is doesn't have anyone auditing them. They're 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 the prison. They're the prisoners in control of their own of of the prison. They're they're determining all the regulatory rules. They're determining determining. They're setting setting the interest rates. Um, I, I think these. I I believe that these agencies are compromised. Um, so, you know, where does that leave us? Um, where can we go from here? What's What's kind of yeah, your? Where does that leave us? <laughs> it leaves us in our current circumstances, where we have, you know, reported eight, ten percent inflation. But mm. I, I believe we need a source of, you know, I don't know where it's going. I just know that that, you know, it needs the Fed needs to be investigated. We need to see what the hell is going on at the Fed. They need to be audited. Um, I'm, I'm questioning that, you know, with everything happening in the economy, the IRS is hiring 86,000 more, um, uh, agents and they're not going after, you know, so the government is causing, they're causing all this inflation by printing of money. They're, they're closing down with COVID. They're closing down small businesses. They're, they're sending IRS agents to these small businesses. The small businessman in this country is under attack. And they're using in inflation as a tool, as a weapon to suppress the small business owner because they want nothing but major corporations running the show, uh, making you beholden to them. So why do, you think that, why do you think that is? Do you have any, any working theories on why that is? Is it because the corporation, I mean, I guess my only thought would be follow the money or maybe because these bigger companies have the lobbying and they've got the ability to do it that they can get people's attention that way. But I don't, I don't know. I guess that's my, my thought. What do you have? I agree with you. Um, they had the lobbying power and, and these large corporations, they could withstand inflation and they could withstand some of these things just by uh, uh, economies of scale. So, you know, I think that the the CEOs of a lot of these companies are going with the globalist agenda, which is to to stifle the small business owner and to bring the economy down so that you're beholden to them. Um, What's your what's your opinion on on what you see with that? Or do you want to add your opinion? 
I am very concerned. You're a small business owner. I am a small business owner. I am very concerned that I'm trying to make sure I phrase this in the how I feel, but also don't want to step over any boundaries given my uh, military position and my prosecutor position. We need to support small businesses and we need to support small business owners. They are the, I know I'm stealing this phrase from someone, but they really are the lifeblood of the economy. I don't do a good enough job of that myself. I get fall, I fall into this Amazon trap where I'm like, the other day, we need a baby gate. Well, I don't really have time to run out and get it. I have a baby who needs to get food. There's a dog that's barking at me. What do I do? I go on Amazon. I go on my phone. So I am a hypocrite, and I know that. I think the small businesses got totally screwed by COVID. I think that the whole fact that we let each state kind of dictate what was essential and what wasn't. Like, how do you tell someone that their livelihood isn't essential? I get that maybe a souvenir shop isn't quote unquote essential. What about churches? We shut down churches. I mean, in a way, churches are kind of small businesses too. I don't want to stop on a God here, but those places need parishioners. They need to recruit parishioners. They need younger ones that have kids. The kids have Bible study. It's and then that's how they get a lot of that's how they get their funding. They're nonprofits, so they need donations. So we kind of stifle those small businesses too. And my biggest issue would be if we shut down everything, fine. But they didn't shut down the liquor stores. They didn't shut down the Walmarts. I don't think it's fair that Walmart got the state. Why was Walmart an essential business? Because they had more stuff than the mom and pop shops. And that's another thing is like because Walmart has these economies of scale. They're able to do things and withstand the inflation, like you said, because they can get things cheaper. They've built out these systems. Whereas mm-hmm. if you wanted to do a Walmart competitor, especially during COVID times right now, I mean, that'd be a terrible idea. The supply chain is still a mess. China's, I don't know what's going on over there. Who knows if anyone really knows. Supply chain's a mess. So you you have inflation and then you got to deal with these competitors. So you're, we really have created a situation where small businesses are under under attack from all fronts and it really does lead itself to they close and then what do those people do well they you know they'll do something else maybe they go work for someone like i i think and i think you had some points here like we need more people working for themselves ultimately we need entrepreneurs to feel to have the confidence and to to be able to do we need to create more businesses more competition that's how things get better. If we only have a few companies doing everything, well, then we're beholden to those companies, like you said. So, for example, if everything just sums up to Amazon, Walmart, Netflix, Comcast, Doritos, or whatever, well, then who's to say what, you know, then, and then we have Cong- Congress, which you'll go to investigating them. I don't really feel confident. Cong- Congress does a great job with these investigations. I know they try. But I don't really know. So, like, I guess my biggest point with all this is, like, we've totally screwed small businesses over. I don't necessarily see that we're fixing that. I don't know everything the government does. Maybe the Biden administration does have some good stuff going on. Maybe the news I read doesn't report it. I think that's a fair question to ask because I do lean right and I do I do try to do independent, but I also look right. So maybe I'm not seeing it, but I guess we stopped on these businesses. I don't see it really turning around especially given the environment they're in. So you've been a small business owner for years. I'd be curious to know from your perspective, you took some notes on things you wanted to talk about, small business growth. What do you think, what do you see right now as the best way to kind of get some things turned around given this kind of hostile environment towards the small business owners? So Small businesses, and I would agree 100%, are, are the lifeblood, are the bedrock, uh, along with manufacturing. So how do we get more small businesses? And, and, and we need to incentivize a small business. Right now, the walls are closing in from what I would do is I would eliminate payroll tax. Payroll tax is a tax that the business has to pay to employ these people a percentage of their payroll. It, it, it is, I'm all about not punishing, incentivizing for economic prosperity. I want to incentivize business, small business growth. How to do that? You don't tax small businesses as much, lower barriers to entry. You sure as hell don't create a payroll tax and increase a payroll tax because that's less money to go around to to the employees. And those employees that small businesses employ are usually, that's usually your middle class. 
So how are you, who ultimately those policies, they're not helping the middle class. And, and they say, you know, so I like policies direct. One of my pinnacles of, of my policies is, is cause and effect. I want something that's keeping it simple, keep it simple, stupid, you know, the old acronym, sure. direct cause and effect. What is this policy, the immediately immediate impact it's going to have on the, the economic landscape? I want to know. If I can't see it immediately or, or a short term, I don't want to hear about it. Uh, so focusing on that, focusing on eliminating payroll tax, lowering small uh, the barriers of entry, increasing funding. We never got, I've been through grade school, high school, undergrad, master's. I never got a class on how to run a small business, how to do your taxes, how to do anything. Sure. So who the hell is that by design? I think it is. I think, I think so too. Design. Yeah. Not to budget Absolutely. your money, not to, not to take advantage of these things. And I even have my whole business as small business owners. I still have, it's not easy. So for someone to, and I'm very tenacious. So being realistic and looking at a lot of these small, I come, it's going to, I'm in a 70% Hispanic district, 70 years top, one of the top Hispanic districts in the nation Hispanics are ready to be small business owners. They're more than capable. They're very smart people. They want the tools. They need the tools necessary to do that. And a lot of them have small businesses, but I want to increase that double it in, in two years, in four years. I want that number doubled. I want to give the tools. I want to give the, that money. Not People talk about investing into lower income areas. I want to know what the hell are you investing in and what, what is it going to do for the people there? Not next year, not in five years, not promises that aren't going to happen. Now, I want in, in places you go, small business development centers, you go, you can develop your ideas, working with, you know, everything, working with planning with city planners. I like micro economics of, of small communities. Even going a step further, and this is my long-term outlook, this is after, but I want to revolutionize how people live, maybe producing their own food, maybe using microgrids. Um, with, what's a, what's know, a microgrid? So microgrid is uh, like having solar, not on your house, but having, you know, piling together with 100, 200 residents, having solar that produces, that's used for energy, and then you could store it with hydrogen. So I like, I like that because I, as, as you, Eileen Wright as well, and I, and I like self-sustainability still, I, but, you know, so, you know, going back with, with small business growth, um, minimizing and eliminating state income tax, you at, when you, when you look at the overall tax burden of citizens, what are you, if you make say a hundred thousand a year, what are you actually to, from that a hundred thousand, what is translating to physical, tangible goods or services? I would say probably about forty to fifty thousand of that. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you get hit with you get hit with the income taxes, and then if you own something, you get hit with property tax, and then on top of that, every time you buy something, you get hit with sales tax. So I think it's probably closer to forty thousand after all the taxes. Yeah, and that's for just yeah. that's middle class. Middle class, you're 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 you're. Gas tax. Grab out the gas tax. Gas everything. Tax. You're, gas. Then inflation is a hidden tax. Inflation mm -hmm. is a hidden tax. It's not called a tax, yeah. but it's a tax. So they're, they're just squeezing, yeah. squeezing, squeezing. Yep. And now saying, oh, we're helping you. You we, we want to help. No one's helping you. They're hiring all these IRS agents to target the, the middle class. So the small business owners are going after. They're, are, they're squeezing, putting the vice grips on small businesses is what's happening. Um, and I, I want to increase the scope of tax write-offs for small businesses. Um, all these large corporations, they have all these tax loopholes. They're not paying. They're not doing this. Yeah. What would you, which, like, how would you specifically do? Like, give me, give me a couple examples of things you would do. I think the federal government is way larger than it needs to be. I think all the government spending is saying it's out of control is an understatement. Yeah. It is to the point of imploding on itself. And they're the largest I saw. So they're the largest, um, they have the largest expenditure out of any company, any private company. The federal government is the largest um, 
GDP, however you want to say it, they, they have grown, they're larger than any company. They're larger than some countries. So it puts into perspective, do we need more government or we need less? We need, I believe the states should have more rights. The federal government should be far reduced and we should have, and I, I like the idea, I don't want to commit to anything. I like the idea of a flat tax, a 5% flat tax federal? across the board, federal, um, because all that we, all this, without getting into it, when I think when people learn where all this federal money is going and the pork barrel spending and then overseas into money laundering schemes and with the federal government, that's, we could go on and on, but this money isn't going where it's saying it's going. Yeah. This is part one. We'll, we're, we're going to do a couple of these. Part one. Yeah. The, uh, there's a, there's a former financial planning client of mine. She's awesome. And every year she sends me, I think it's Rand Paul does a annual like craziest, like government spending, like scientific mm-hmm. studies. And the one that she sends me every year is, a. Uh, I guess the government paid a couple of million bucks for shrimp to run on treadmills. <laughs> like, yeah, it's stuff like that. It's I, there was a great uh, I heard this on this on Scott Adams, where apparently back in the know, 60s and 70s, I think it was the CIA did a study to see if psychics were real, <laughs> like, which because they were like, well, if psychics are real. We should definitely weaponize them, which I support. But it was like they were, you know, they're doing stuff like that. I, some of that stuff's kind of fun. I think it's kind of interesting, especially when you look back on it. And the CIA has been doing a whole bunch of things. But uh, yeah, I think that's a that, good point. Yeah, there was but, a lot of it. And that, that's a topic. CIA have read a couple books on the subject, which yeah. <laughs> is a topic. <laughs> Tread lightly when talking about the CIA. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I agree with you. And and just to wrap up uh, these things with the small businesses, you know, as far as schooling, as far as classes, a lot of these people, a lot of them, um, you graduate from high school, you graduate from college. Do you, what, do you have the skills necessary in today's workforce? I think most, who's, who knows better than the small business owners who are seeing these people who graduate who knows better if these people are graduating with the, the skills needed. And I see a big, big lack of, of tangible skills needed in today's workplace. Um, so, you know, I like the idea of, uh, I don't know if you ever Myers-Briggs personality typing yeah. or development or career placement of taking young people and, and you know, not having such a, a, um, a definitive construct of schooling. I like gen eds. I like in, in school, some of the, for instance, in eighth grade, um, we had a, in, um, not a whole Mac, but industrial tech. We learned different from everything from aerodynamics, how to fly an airplane modules to, to disc jockeying, to public speaking, to robotics. Wait, what was this? It was an eighth grade industrial tech. Wow. And it was, and, and you know, classes like that really get your mind People need more, in my opinion, more applied um, classroom activities, more internships. I think internships should be starting younger at a young age. You should have a mandatory internship in seventh grade, because if you're not spending time in that industry or different industries, how the hell do you know what you want to do? Wait till you graduate with a master's in that subject to finally get a job in it. It's ass backwards. That's what I did for law. I I did that for financial planning and I didn't. That's what you're told to do. Yep. I. I followed almost all the rules. And now that I've done that and I'm t- almost 10 years out of law school, I'm with you. What was it? Alexander Hamilton was like running, was, wasn't he like the head accountant by like 12 or 13? Like we, and Mike Cernovich does a good job of pointing this out too. We really undersell kids and we yes. essentially baby them. I mean, I still am learning. You make your most, you make your biggest, you learn the most when you are put in a situation where you're uncomfortable, you know, that's where growth occurs. Yep. And so I don't see why, like in high school, we had work release my junior and senior year. I think we should do work release starting. Like I think high school should be half classes and half, like you go and shadow someone or you do something. There's no reason for, I've met plenty of 14 and 15 year olds, 
like, and I remember even back in the day, like when you were in eighth grade, you're telling me maybe, you know, depending on how your behavior maturity level was like, you could have done something. I mean, I was, let me ask you this. What was your, what was your first job? When was it? And what'd you do? It can be part-time or full-time. I was put to work for no wage at family businesses. And this is how I, I grew my work ethic and, 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 you working at small, uh, you know, 10, 10 years old. My grandpa had a restaurant still down Bonavino's in, in the city, across the street from the Board of Trade. Yeah. I was put to work there and working for my other uh, uncle who had a party rental tents business. How old were you? And, and um, well, started working about, you know, 10, 12, uh, 10, yeah. I'd say, like, Age 10, not right? all the time, summer here and there. And yeah. like, you learn those skills, you learn those. What was your, what, what was your, um, your first job? I was 12 and I refereed or I was a Lions person for soccer. Okay. And it was, I had to, it was, it was pretty good money for back then. I think it was like 15 bucks an hour for, we're talking Do like. Do you see 2, a lot 000? of 10, 12 year olds doing anything today, a constructive as far as working or anywhere, you know? I have no, I, I don't, I have no, I'm not really sure, but I don't think so. I feel like it's really. It's, I don't really, I, I feel like they're just on their phones. I mean, and now yeah. granted, we didn't have YouTube growing up. You know, we're kind of the Facebook when it was .edu age. So we kind of, you know, like, it's so funny. I talk to people online. I'll be like, you just have no idea. Like that place was so fun. Facebook was just awesome. You could, I mean, people said crazy things. People like argued. The pictures were outrageous. But yeah, I was, I was younger. You were younger. There does seem like there's this like, we just baby these kids so much now and maybe it's a generational thing. I mean, you know, back in the, back in our day, you know, cause you know, you could go back generations and you know, they were like probably, you know, hunter gatherers were taking their kids to soon. I mean, back in the, what was it? Millions of years ago. Right. I mean, people were, people would have families when they were like 15 and then they would die at like 30. So you probably were learning to hunt when you could walk. So, yeah, I don't want to put a spear in my kid's hand. But at the same time, like I try to think cognitively, like, okay, what are some things I can do over the next couple of years with him to get him doing things where I don't, I don't want him to do this like kindergarten, pop school, like he just learns to be disciplined. Learn to be disciplined. And that's a good point is, you know, there's no one size fits all approach in education. People learn differently. And instead of restricting people's thinking and learn and, and telling them this is how you should think. You should be teaching them how to think outside the box, how to expand their thinking, how to be creative. Um, Elon Musk said, what was his famous thing saying, an MBA restricts people's thinking. Um, and you could agree or disagree, um, you know, but I think the point being is people put education on such a pedestal, but a lot of people don't work well in, in education uh, in a, a, a a structured environment like that yes. where it's abstract. Some people learn with hands-on and we shouldn't villainize or put people down who that's how they learn because they're slow, right? Those are the slow kids. The ones that are more kinetic, or... the more kinetic learners. Exactly. The more... Yep. And it, yeah, it's the education system is read, right? So one of the reasons I excelled is because I'm mostly read, right? It was built for people, probably p- people who like me wanted created it and so it was an easy system for me whereas i know multiple people who that was not for them they struggled mightily but they're doing great now they just had to get the hell out of that system and a lot of them didn't go to college and they're they're thriving they worked right away they got into like construction then they end up doing something else like maybe salesy and they're doing fine and some of them are they're now owning their own small businesses themselves and i look at i'm like you know they we didn't my school and I grew up in like was called a really good school district, District One Fifty Five and Forty Seven in Illinois, and I just look back on it and like we didn't really. It was like you had to do these things, and and I don't blame the teachers. I think the teachers are fantastic. I don't blame. I really kind of blame the school now. Now that I know how the system kind of works, it was the school board. And the school yeah. board didn't do enough, and may still not do enough to. Cater to some of those really smart kids that were leaving out of the system. So let me segue into another question for you. You're running for Congress. Why Congress? So, for example, like I might run for school board next year. 
why Congress instead of doing something maybe more local? Like some of the some of the things good you question. talk about, you talk about like I think you have a lot of good federal ideas, but I also think a lot of the concepts you discuss could be easily implemented more on a local level. So how do you kind of weigh the cost benefit of running for national election versus local? I'm big picture oriented and I want to have the most impactful. I want to spend my time the most impactfully. And I think on the federal level that gives the, the, the biggest stage. And um, a lot of what I go for is on a large scale, like energy policy of the entire country. Um, you know, um, a lot of the economic things I want to do I, I encompass the entire country. So on a smaller scale, I have larger aspirations in the future where uh, beyond politics and um, in energy. Well, hold on, hold on. What's bigger than politics? Um, I want to use politics as a stepping stone to basically I, I want to unleash the potential of, of I, I think the human potential is very restrained. I, I think it's underrated. I think the human potential is so much greater than what we're being told. And I want to unlock that for humanity. I want to create jobs. I want to look at alternative energy that, that's different than the construct we're, we're, we're confined to now. So I want to be a job creator. I want to, I want to develop different industries. Um, I want to develop different, you know, I have an idea of my microgrid, stuff like that. But I, I just want to, I want to be a creator. I want to get to building. I want to build, I want to build a different future for humanity. And that seems so like cliche and trite, but um, I just think the way we've been doing things is not the proper way. Um, and that there's, there's, there's other alternatives and other paths that we could take as, as a species that could spiritual development. And I'm going off a little bit, spiritual development, different things with right now, the system with pharmaceuticals is making people sick. I think that all these sectors, the only proper way to handle this is to look at every single sector. And, and, and I believe that. I am good at taking these different sectors, energy, health, um, economics, education, being the cohesive glue that kind of brings it together and shows the district and shows and creates policies that are going to benefit humans as a whole, not just for my own agenda. I don't have, I, I have no, I have, I don't take money. I don't, I have, I go against the mainstream because the truth is being, I believe the truth is being blinded. Uh, it's being shielded from us. Um, so kind of went off a little bit there, but um, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. it's, yeah it's a lot, I mean, it's, again, that's why this is going to be part one. What would be, if you're, if you're just zooming out, so let's, let's take the, you know, 10,000, 100,000 foot view of the United States. So I don't want to get to the human. Actually, let's take the whole global view. Let's go back to what you said about like you want to really unleash the human, you know, unleash human potential. What would be like the one or two things that you if if I was like, all right, James, like you are going to be like the so funny saying this, but like, let's say, let's say the, the world economic forum gets their gets their way, which is why I think, you know, there's like this one world government. And for some reason, though, the good people get in charge. And before it gets broken up into republics, they're like, James, you are the policy guy. We got like one or two things we can really focus on. Like, what would be like the one or two things that you think would really unleash humanity's potential over the long run? I think war and conflict is is number one. And, and looking at why these wars and conflicts are occurring is it a politically motivated issue for power and control? I, I think it is because looking at those, I believe that all these countries, I believe in different parts of the world, uh, they have resources. And looking at war and conflict, number one, um, removing the bad actors from the situation and, and, and looking at these people not as enemies, but uh, or, or having religious, you know, religious different beliefs than us that has to be number one is everyone looking at you know 
not using war and as a, a, a way of control and manipulation over other countries. Um, number two, you know, it's a good question on a global scale. Um, there's much of the country that doesn't have that doesn't have clean food, water, or or resources to to, to modernize. Maybe that's not what they want to do, but I I believe that a lot of these people are being suppressed. Um, uh, large areas of the world are being suppressed from um, from having their own energy, water, and food. Um, so I I think that you know that's number one. Um, from an from a United States standpoint, I, there's three major short-term things that I think is inflation. It's um, inflation is is the biggest one. Um, growing the small business and then looking at alternative and and energy feasibility um, um, are are my three biggest ones because most uh, 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 economists will agree that energy is the number one in, indicator of a nation's wealth. So if you have energy, you have easier living for your, you know, for your citizens. Um, so, you know, that's what I'm, I'm trying to focus in, in two years. You don't have a lot of time to get things done, focusing on those, those, those sectors that could have the biggest impact um, is what I'm trying to do. When you look at inflation, do you think it's too late to go back to some sort of gold standard or even, yeah, what, like, I guess what would be, so I've, I've thought about this and I really don't have a good answer. The only thing I kind of thought about, and I really haven't done too much think too much tinkering is I almost wonder, and this would be kind of crazy, but why not? Could we anchor the dollar to Bitcoin? Like, could we buy enough Bitcoins and anchor the dollar to Bitcoin? And what would that look like? I really, I think, I'm sure someone's probably thought about this. I don't think I just created the wheel here, but I'm like, I'm trying to think of what that look like. Let's say there's, there's 21 million Bitcoins. I forgot how many are in circulation. Let's say United States just goes, we're buying a third. So we're gonna have 7 million Bitcoins. And let's say the price of Bitcoin goes up to like 100,000 each. So what would that be like? My brain's not working. It'd be a lot. Could we anchor the dollar to Bitcoin? I don't. I don't know. Is that too volatile? Would that That's or would that point. would that do something? I don't know. I think that it, in my opinion, and everyone has their own opinions on on cryptocurrency. In my opinion, I think cryptocurrency could be standalone, and the dollar could be. I think the dollar is best to be tied with gold and silver you have tangible physical reserves that are proven and um cryptocurrency could stand on its own um i think that when you're given an alternative um you have government organizations that are trying to suppress you know cryptocurrency trying to suppress gold and silver um i think that cryptocurrency once people kind of you know it, it grows more people realize more as inflation increases I think you're going to see you have these major over the last two years. And I know, you know, this over the last two years, you have a lot of financial institutions going towards making them uh, able to um, target Walmart, all these institutions going to be offering cryptocurrencies in the near future. You have, you go walk into 7-Eleven, you see all those kiosks that people could transfer their money to cryptocurrency. You have apps like Robinhood and and um, uh, and and uh, what is it called? Um, the the Coinbase. various wallets. Yeah, Coinbase. Coinbase, Coinbase, making the ease to 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 transfer cryptocurrency. So, cryptocurrency is interesting because, in a way, I equate cryptocurrency to a digital gold and silver because it's worth what the market dictates and more people buying cryptocurrency, put their money in, into it, it's driving up the price. Um, and it's finite. 
And I think that concept in economics, finite supply, there's, there's a, you, you know how many with, with, with US dollar, you could print infinite. Gold and silver, there's just a, a certain amount that's extractable. Same with cryptocurrency. There's, and you said it, how many Bitcoins were created? Um, a million or whatever. 21, 21 million eventually will be created, but that doesn't include all the ones that have been lost and all the, I mean, there's plenty of stories like the guy, there's this guy in England, I think, who, it's like every year, every time there's a big Bitcoin run, the story comes up because he's like, I think it's spent like 500 million to try to find in a, in the landfill, this laptop that his like then girlfriend threw out like five years ago. And there it's like this crazy story and like the area he lives in won't let him like do any more digging. And like, they're like trying to use like heat maps to find it. It's oh every, it, they, they always run the story every time there's like a big bull run. Let me get, let me get you out of, uh, out of here on here. Cause again, we'll, there's a lot more we're going to need to cover over the next few months, years, decades. What would be something we haven't talked about? Just an idea you have. It can be related to some to anything that you think, whether it be for Congress or not, it's just like like what's like the most unique James Salakos idea that you think like I don't know if it'll work, but I think we should give it a shot. Um, I think pertaining to health. Um, so. I'm really big into functional medicine, finding the root cause of illness, chronic illness and cancer. I think the, um, I, what I would like to see is the healthcare system, the entire healthcare system being revamped, completely revamped, overhauled, gutted from the inside out, um, and made the basis of health functional medicine with different key pillars being healthy eating, spiritual growth, trauma, looking at trauma, suppressed trauma, um, really looking at the, the food pyramid as the most manipulated, laughable thing the federal government has ever created. It, it, it is, turn it upside down, it's more accurate. Sure. So um, it is these high omega-6 seed oils, industrial oils, all the pharmaceuticals they're putting, the glyophosphates in our food supplies, the heavy metals. I believe that they're poisoning the population is what I believe um, through policies, through, through legal means. So I want to see a complete overhaul where functional health is not waiting to someone get sick, but taking different steps to re preventative medicine. Um, for instance, I see a functional medicine doctor that during COVID, to put it in perspective, you walk into the the functional medicine doctor, they have no, no one is wearing masks. You walk into the mainstream medicine doctor, they have masks, you know, all over the door. Do not enter without masks. You go in there, everyone's wearing masks. Huge disconnect between the two, disparity. Yeah. So I'm for, so when I go to this functional medicine doctor, I, I had issues with mold toxicity and stuff. And I went through my whole 10, 10 years going through mainstream medicine of Going to different doctors, I had allergy issues, chronic fatigue. I went through 10 years of going through main allergy shots, no help after 10 years, just for them to say by a doctor, ironically named Dr. Smart, saying that, oh, you, you know, he basically told me I'm crazy because I'm, I'm sensitive to chemicals. I'm like, all right, buddy. So that led me on my own path to discover this. You know, there's alternative means for health. There's, you could take ozone, put ozone generator, very low ex expensive machine and infuse your blood with it where it kills a lot of pathogens. It, it kills a lot. And this, we might have to have a podcast just on this topic because maybe this is, and Joe I've Rogan. No, I've never heard this. No idea what you're talking about. There's a huge, huge, unless you have chronic illness and you go down this path, you don't know that this exists. And it's my dream to, show people that alternative approaches to health exist and they are if it if they had if insurance companies were giving out ten thousand dollars it would only cost ten thousand dollars to heal someone you know from a chronic illness even cancer 10 20 grand they could heal them rather two million with chemotherapy all these different 
therapies, pharmaceuticals, million dollar pharmaceuticals. They're charging you, they're creating the illness and then they're, they're giving you the solution. It, it's all, they're creating these illnesses. Follow so the money. Follow the money. Follow the money. So without getting into that too much, yeah. there's, there's other alternative approaches to, to, to go down that if people did, they'd be healthy in their low, low cost. James Lacos, thank you. I'm hoping this doesn't somehow get, well, I'm not making money off it, but I was like to get demonetized. But well, I'll be curious to see what YouTube does with this because I, you know, I think we we uh we definitely touched across a few of the uh talking points that they may might not want us to. But that's the whole point of living is to actually debate, not just get censored on the mainstream points. Where can we find you on the internet, social media, live appearances, the works? So. Website's going up now, Polacos for Congress. Um, let me double check that. Um, Instagram, Polacos for Congress, number four. Um, and I'll, I can send you some of these links. Um, website will be up soon. I have a Ballotpedia, okay. um, Instagram, nice. Twitter, Facebook. Um Hopefully more working on some funding, uh, maybe get a commercial to out. But the point that you're making is we should be able to talk about these. And what we talk about isn't typical conservative talking points and they're not typical liberal uh, uh, talking points. We want to bring dialogue out and we want to be able to talk about this stuff. That's not it shouldn't be listed as right or wrong. We should be having this dialogue. Yeah, no, I'm I'm totally with you. Well, I appreciate it again. We'll obviously be talking soon and we'll see you on the campaign trail. Have a great day. Thanks, Eric.